Using only positive attributes, if I were to ask you to describe yourself, how would you do it? What would you say? What are the best parts about you? What are the things that you hope might be true about you? That someone might say, oh, yeah, I see that in you. You might say smart, funny, athletic, attentive, diligent, disciplined, attractive, caring, compassionate, loving, kind, courageous. Lots of things. There's many more. And we all have something within us that longs for the approval of others. There's, there's something to some degree in every single one of us that desires that people think well of us. The truth is, that at the end of the day, there's only one opinion that matters. It's the opinion that lasts forever because it's held by a God that lasts forever. But when we think about who we are, it is most often attached to what we do. When we think of who we are, it's usually attached to what we do. We are funny because we tell jokes. We are diligent because we work hard. We are compassionate because we care for people. The passage that we'll be looking at tonight, which is Nehemiah chapter 4, and you can turn there if you have your Bibles. If you don't, there's some extras in the back. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be looking at some action that is performed by a specific group of people. But we will see that their work did not determine their identity. Their work revealed their identity. It didn't determine it, it revealed it. And that is a scarlet thread that continues to run through not just this book, and not even just this passage, but through the whole Bible. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, all the way to the New Testament church today. In effect, that is the heart of the gospel. God makes sinners who are his enemies into his friends. He takes orphans without parents into allowing us to be sons and daughters of God. He makes wicked people into righteous people. And in light of that work, because that work is done, we now live accordingly. When we look to Jesus by faith as Lord, as Savior, he gives believers all kinds of privileges and promises that we spend the rest of our life enjoying and learning more about and loving God for it. But all along, our motivation and even our ability to do these things and to enjoy these things is because God is working through us. He's working in us. That's why I've titled tonight's message, God's action in our action. God's action in our action. And we're going to see from the book of Nehemiah, though it was talking about one specific person, Nehemiah, and this specific people group, the Jews, two, over 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, in light of all of that, we are going to see something that is massively relevant to you tonight, this week. And I encourage you to look for it. But before we do, let's pray. God, we ask that you would bless your word, landing on our hearts tonight. Lord, your word is true, it is alive, it is active, it is perfect. And our hearts are the things that need help in receiving it. So, Lord, fill us with affections for you. Would you be working, prodding us to see your word, to repent, to believe, to trust in you, Jesus, as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
As we read our passage, I want you to listen to all of the verbs. Do you remember what a verb is? Think think back to English class. Action, that's right. A verb is a word that communicates an action or state of being, okay? It's important. It is important, even when you're reading the Bible. As we read this, I want you to listen to all of the actions, all of the things that are happening, all of the doings in this passage. So we're going to look at Nehemiah 4, starting in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Now, depending on how you count them, we might land on different numbers, but the Overall idea, there's a lot of verbs. There's a lot of actions. There's a lot of things that are happening. There's a lot of things being done. But I want to focus on two main actions tonight, building and fighting. Building and fighting. Before we get there, I want to spend some extra time on one verse. Look at verse 15 with me. If you're taking notes, this isn't point one yet, okay? I know sometimes I'm listening to a sermon. I'm like, where does this land? It's not point one yet. We'll get there. Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So what's going on here? Well, if you look ahead, sorry, behind to verse 14, what had just happened was Nehemiah gets all of the people together and he rallies them and he commissions them and he says, be bold. We're going to stand up. We're going to fight. We're going to defend our territory. We're going to resist the opponent. We're going to fight because the Lord is great and awesome. And we're going to fight for our brothers or sons or daughters or wives in our homes. However, this is not what the attackers were expecting. Sanbal and Tobiah, remember the enemies who are surrounding the, the city? They are trained men of war. They have been familiar with combat. They're the governors. They've taken over lands. They, are, they do this for a living. They fight. They fight battles for a living. They are the military forces of these regions and are familiar with combat. And if you can remember, at the very beginning of Nehemiah, we talked about this. Remember, Jerusalem gets captured. All of the people get taken back to Persia or Babylon. However, some of the people are left, the remnant. But the people that were left were the weak, the poor, the lame, the misfits, the nobodies. Okay? So that is the people that is living in this land when Nehemiah comes back with his squad and rallies all these people together. 
Okay? That means when Nehemiah shows up on the scene to organize the work of building the wall, he is gathering a ragtag group of misfits. Okay? These are the outcasts. They aren't trained in war. It's kind of like how in Kung Fu Panda, Poe, remember, he's a misfit. He's an outcast. But Master Shifu takes him under his wing and he teaches him how to fight. And he ultimately, in the end of the first episode, first movie, which I can't believe came out in 2008, which later I realized that's like the year some of you were born. Like, who's, who's born in 2008? Raise your hand. That's crazy. I remember when that movie came out. So I'm really old. Anyways, hopefully you still remember Kung Fu Panda, right? Poe defeats Tai Lung with the Wuxi finger hold, remember? And he says, skip douche. Yeah, it's like the best line. I love that line from that movie. It's so funny. God uses Nehemiah to organize, to empower this really weak group of people, to bring them together, to be a unit all together. Verse 15 says that it frustrates the plans of the enemy. They, that means a victory. There was a victory to a degree that the people of Jerusalem, the Jews, had victory over the opponents. The question is, what do they do after that victory? Do they sit back, relax, enjoy their accomplishment, and sit on the throne that they have built? Well, the passage says that we all return to the wall, each to his work. They go right back to work. Something special about that. Are you beginning to see this theme throughout Nehemiah? Remember chapter 1, verse 11, how Nehemiah asked God to grant him favor according to God's character, not to his own. Chapter 2, verse 4, he prays to the God of heaven that the king would give him what he asks. And how he summarizes that section in 2.8, he says this, The king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. In 4.9, we see the same thing again. And we prayed to the God of heaven, and we set a guard of protection against the enemy. Do you see how there's this theme over and over again that God is using real people to do real work, but it's never the people doing the work on their own strength. It's always God empowering. It's always God using these people to accomplish his purposes. It is God's action in our action. When God saves someone, when they're brought to life or regenerated spiritually, that's all of grace. That is God's kindness looking upon a sinner who has done nothing to deserve their salvation and freely giving it to them. That is what He does. He freely makes them alive. And yet, when a person is regenerated, there's things, two things that always happen. This is in the Gospels. Repentance, belief. Repentance and belief, they always flow out of a changed heart. Both Jesus and Paul make this clear. Repent, meaning turn from your sins, and believe, meaning trust in Christ. These two things always go together. They are inseparable with salvation. Those words sound like actions. It's because they are. They are verbs. Repent, believe. They are actions. And when Jesus says them, they're actually commands. He commands people. Mark 1.15. He commands, repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, being a better theologian than we will ever be, 
understands that in our repentance, in our belief, God is working through us. God is active and we are active. It is God's action in our action. Let me illustrate this for you. A Christian is like an electric motor plugged into a battery supply, okay? The battery power that goes to the motor is the spirit of God, the power of God at work. However, when that power is active, it does something. It turns on the motor. You are the motor, right? So when God is active in you, there is something that is happening that is coming out of you in a sense. However, if you're separated from that battery, nothing's happening because it is completely dependent upon God to work. Why do I spend so much time on this idea? Because this understanding is foundational, not just for this text right here, but for your understanding of the whole Bible. Uh, Your understanding of the Christian life, it is dependent on this idea. Let's get back to our passage. Lots of actions happening, but they can probably be grouped into two categories. Building, fighting. So let's look at number one, building. Building. What is a builder? Just think about that. What is a builder? Pretty self-explanatory, probably. Generically, you could say someone who builds something. It's a pretty good definition. In our passage, a builder is one of the men who specifically labored at constructing the wall. They would sit on the wall with a trowel in their hands, and they would spread mortar, place a brick, place a brick, place a brick, spread mortar, place a brick, place a brick, place a brick. That was their job. They were building the wall. But if I were to expand the question to our lives today, how would you answer What is a builder? Are buildings, are walls the only things that can be built? What about people? Can people be built? Can people be built up? Do you build people up? Do you use the trowel of your tongue to build the people around you? Or do you use it to tear them down? Are you known by your siblings or by your parents as an encourager? Are you known by your friends as a gossip? What is your tongue being used to do? How unfitting would it be for one of Nehemiah's men, after experiencing victory over the enemy, to climb up on the unfinished wall and just refuse to do anything? Or even more so, what if he were to climb up on the wall and start pushing the bricks off? Just pushing them down. We already got the victory. Just push them down. No point. You'd say that's ridiculous. And yet, how much more unfitting is it for a redeemed believer to live in the new life that God has given them to cut down someone else, to tear down the bricks of someone else's life? Quote the Apostle James, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Should not be. In a room this size, I'm sure that there are those who have not received this new life. They don't understand the power that sin has over their hearts. Just in the same way that a dead fish has no idea that it's floating downstream. Can't tell. Can't tell. Some of you unbelievers have great goals of accomplishment in mind. You, you long to be this superstar athlete. You long to be a recognized author, a successful business person. 
a liberating political figure. You have these aspirations in your heart. And because you do, your thoughts, your desires, your actions are all focused on building this possibility, building this reality to be a part of your life. I must tell you, in love, that all of these things will pass away. They will. They will not satisfy down to the heart. Even if you get them, which you may, you may achieve them. You will not be content. You will be looking for the next thing. You will be waiting for the next achievement to fulfill you, to satisfy you. You are building something that will turn to dust. And you may be alive to see it. You may not, but it will happen. It will turn to dust. It will crumble. But Christ offers a far greater opportunity in building something that will never perish. It's only going to get better for all of eternity. There are unbelieving builders and believing builders, but if we look back to our passage, we see another group of people in the midst. Number two, fighters. Fighters. Look at verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. Nehemiah has his own group of bodyguards, his personal entourage, and he divides them in half. Half of them are armed. They're ready for war. And the other half, labor. Verse 21 says the same thing. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Half building, half fighting. Now, what is a fighter? Sounds pretty self-explanatory too. Someone who fights, right? That's true. But it's also someone who defends, who protects. Some of you have a natural disposition towards fighting. You stand up for others. You speak out. You defend your position. You've been given a sword in life in your tongue and you use it often. The problem arises when fighters fight for fighting's sake. When the whole point of fighting is to fight, not to protect, not to defend. There's a problem when the enjoyment of the battle, the sparring, the attack happens without any thought of what you are fighting for or who you are fighting for. And it is true that the Christians, that Christians in general are called to fight. We are called to fight for the truth, to defend the cause of those who are weak, who can't defend their own cause. There are many good things worth fighting for. But we are always going to be fighting wrong if we are fighting with the wrong mindset. Even if you are fighting for the right thing, if it comes from the wrong heart or the wrong motive, it does not honor God. If the reason that you want to stand up for this person is so your reputation goes up, it's wrong. The reason you want to defend someone is so you can validate your strength, it's wrong. What is the right mindset then, you ask? Look at verse 20 with me. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah says to the workers, if you hear this horn, come here. Come, ready for battle. Come, dress, swords, shields, spears, everything. Come to this point. And he doesn't say, and we're going to fight the enemy. He says, and God will fight for us. Nehemiah is positioning himself underneath the power, the action, the movement of God. It is God's action in our action. Come and fight. 
But fight knowing that it is God fighting through your sword and through your spear. That is the mindset that we must have. At this point, we should take a little closer look at our passage and draw something out that maybe you noticed. Look at verse 17, starting a few words in at the first sentence. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with another. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. Did you catch that? The men of Jerusalem are not divided into two people groups, fighters, builders. They are both fighters and builders. All of them are fighters and builders. The builders also fight. And the fighters also build. There is not a split of people. It is a split of effort. And this is an idea that doesn't just happen in Nehemiah. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, all the way at the beginning. Because this is a pattern that has been around since the dawn of time. Since before sin entered the world. This is what God commands and commissions Adam, the first man, to do. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. To cultivate the land and to defend the land. To provide and to protect to build and to fight, okay? This is a pattern that God had originated in the garden before sin ever existed, that mankind was designed to both build and to fight. And here we see it arriving again in the work of God and how he redeems people who are naturally fighters and he redeems people who are naturally builders to both do the same thing. And God's making of the church, he doesn't just call a group of fighters and a group of builders to come together and be on the same team. Organizations in the world do that all the time. It's not that special. Instead, God transforms sinners, people. The the way God works in his people is not just organizational, it's transformational. The fighters also become builders and the builders also become fighters. When God saves you who are natural fighters, now you are passionate and zealous to fight for the righteousness, for good things, for the things that honor God. When God saves you who are natural builders, encouragers, now God causes a zeal in your heart to encourage spiritual growth in others, not just provide flattering words that people like to hear. Is there any indicator in your life that you are passionate about the things of God? Is there any evidence when you look at your own heart that your natural bends have been straightened by the Lord? Titus 2.14 says that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, listen to this, for his own possession who are zealous for good works we can have a tendency to shy away from this idea of good works and it is true that you are not saved according to your good works you will never be however for a believer 
the evidence, the fruit, the byproduct of a changed heart is good works. That is the pattern. Let me show you. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, For we Christians are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has saved you for good works that you should walk in him. This is God's action in our action. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul speaking, by the grace of God. Grace. It's all grace. I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I. It wasn't me. I deserve none of the credit. But the grace of God that is with me. Yes, you are active. You are doing things. You are producing good works, but it is all the grace of God and God alone deserves the praise. You have no grounds for boasting. Ephesians 2 makes that abundantly clear. This is the same theme. I work hard, but only with and by according and according to the grace of God that is within me. Nehemiah got materials for the wall, but only as the good hand of the Lord was on top of him. Nehemiah built the wall, but only because the God of heaven made them prosper. Nehemiah prepared for battle, but he was confident because he knew that God would fight for him. Do you see the same pattern? Over and over again. Does this mean that the battle is easy? By no means. The Christian life is not easy. Christ said in Mark 8.34, If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Bonhoeffer said it this way, When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. There is a death that happens when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. It is our own death because we are no longer Lord and Savior of our life. We submit that to another. Verse 21 of our passage says that we labored at the work Half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars come out. There are long and weary days in the life of a Christian. Verse 22 says, I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. Let's sleep in the city so that we, they may be a guard for us by night and labor by day. There are restless nights. There are nights without comfort in the Christian life. And we do not retreat from the front lines of the battle. We cannot. There is no retreat. Because as long as you have a pulse, Christian, you will be being attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is unavoidable. You are living a life that is contrary to the stream, to the pattern of this entire world. There is always a battle in us and around us. And we don't retreat. We can't retreat. But there is good news. As King David said in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the midst of the war, of the battle, of the conflict, there is peace in our hearts. There is comfort that comes from God, not from circumstances, which God never changes, circumstances do. If your comfort comes because your life is easy, that is a weak comfort. If your comfort comes from God, that is a strong comfort. If you do not have this peace, if you do not know this comfort, it is offered in the person of Jesus, who is our Savior, our Defender. 
He is the one who has not only fought the enemies of sin and death, but he has also destroyed them forever. He has not only begun the work of building his people, but he has promised to bring it to completion. He will bring you to completion, weary Christian. You will be with him. Complete, face to face with the God of heaven. And you will get to enjoy him forever. He has provided rest in himself and he gives it freely to all of his children. Therefore, therefore, Hebrews 4, 11, let us strive to enter that rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask you to be alive in our hearts that you would make us zealous for good works, not to earn approval. We can't ever do that. But because you are approved of us, we are approved in your sight because of the work of Jesus done on our behalf. We thank you so much for that. We ask that you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.